Hello and welcome to episode 78 of Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling. It's November, and for us, it's Thanksgiving all month. T-Hanksgiving, that is. This year, we're giving thanks for Tom Hanks and re-watching Castaway, the Robert Zemeckis blockbuster from 2000. Just like Thanksgiving is the time of year when you pause to remember to be grateful for the people in your life you take for granted, we wanted to pause and be grateful for Tom Hanks, an actor so dependable we often overlook how little he's let us down. Also, Tom Hanks just feels like the right choice as fall gives way to winter and we need a little light in the increasingly dark days. Speaking strictly in meteorological terms, of course. Castaway was a certifiable commercial hit and kept the Tom Hanks money train rolling, following on the tail of a formidable string of hits such as The Green Mile, Toy Story 2, You've Got Mail, and Saving Private Ryan. It earned nearly $430 million worldwide and earned Tom Hanks' his fifth Oscar nomination. Audiences seemed more taken with it than critics, though even the critics who didn't like the film couldn't deny the power of Hanks' performance. But not every Tom Hanks movie can be the best Tom Hanks movie, right? And how bad can bad Tom Hanks really be? Keep listening. Time rules over us without mercy. Not caring if we're healthy or ill, hungry or drunk, Russian, American, beings from Mars. It's like a fire. It can either destroy us or it can keep us warm. That's why every FedEx office has a clock. Because we live or we die by the clock. We never turn our back on it. And we never, ever allow ourselves the sin of losing track of time. Locally, it's 156. That was the instantly recognizable voice of Tom Hanks as Chuck Noland in... Uh, in Castaway. Right. And what a voice. What a voice. Although, you know what? For a voice that is, I think, so distinctive, he's not like everybody has a Tom Hanks impression, you know? No, because it's that distinctive. It's hard to do, don't you but think? But isn't it the more distinctive, the more... Well, I mean, I guess you're right. Kind of imitate it? It's hard to imitate, though. It is. There's something about... It's... It's It's, it's an like, odd... It's, like it's kind of throat. an odd voice. It's, like, yeah. it's, a, it's a reedy... It's a yeah. kind of a reedy voice. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot. Of, there's not really a lot of heft to it. And I think early Tom Hanks was a little bit more shrill, okay. and he can get there. But later Tom Hanks, he uses that sort of deeper register. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he gets serious, yeah, and and yes. it's more intimate. It's yes. quiet. It's like a quieter, yes. deeper register. And it it reaches into the soul of every person listening. Absolutely. But for its readiness, and even in its shrillness, it's not unpleasant. It's never unpleasant. And I agree, uh, but if you were to describe somebody's voice as reedy and shrill, not like I, I not, not typically, good. right? Yeah. You're right because that because what you just said is usually just you don't even need to say in a bad way, right? That voice is reedy, reedy and, and shrill. shrill. No thanks, right? But we are giving thanks for Tom, for Hanks. Tom Hanks, of course, yeah. And uh, yeah, so you know he's talking there about time, really laying it on thick. Time is important. We don't have enough time. Right. And this uh, is a noticeably rounder, fuller Hanks. It is, yeah. A uh, softer yeah. R- around the middle. Mm-hmm. And uh turns out a lot of foreshadowing happening in that, that speech where uh, he will end up with nothing but time. Also, he lives and he dies by a clock. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's supposed to be like a real cutthroat business guy. Well, that's what's weird because I feel like the movie kind of wants you to think that about him, but it doesn't go full force into it. No, he seems to be... 
He still seems seems like they believe in FedEx and efficiency, but he also seems pretty reluctant to leave on Christmas Eve or whatever day that was, which he's a human being. That's good. Like, which is good that they established that in the movie. Yeah. He does. He cares. He's not just like a a Scrooge. Right. Yeah. I also don't know if Tom Hanks could ever really pull off that character. Well, he can, he can, he he could, he could could do it. Of course he could. What am I saying? But, but it would be a challenge. It would be. To sell it, I think. It would be a audience. challenge for the audience. Yeah. And typically, sometimes, sometimes, oftentimes, we will be watching a movie with an uh, eye mainly on the director. I feel like uh, Robert Zemeckis is a director that's easy to overlook. <laughs> well, we should get into that because I would, I would have said so too, but there are some things he's doing here mm-hmm. that I think are worth noting. I, I, that actually make the movie just work a little bit better, yeah. keep running, and it's and don't get me wrong, this Tom, is Tom Hanks, Hanks. This is Tom movie. Hanks's thing. This is Tom um, Hanks's podcast. This is finally, <laughs> he's been waiting. So this isn't like Zemeckis is necessarily like saving something that Tom Hanks is messing no, up. I'm just gosh. saying that it's it's a good pairing here. I think. I think so you too. Know? I say that more going into it. I wasn't thinking about Zemeckis at sure, all. Yeah. And, and, and let's let we'll get into this, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But I just think he's one of the more reliable directors out there. Maybe Probably, not always making great things, hasn't, but hasn't he kind of transitioned into doing stop motion or not stop motion, but motion capture? I, I yeah, but he, that that's in the mix. It's in the bag. But he's also doing things like he did like Denzel Washington with Flight, which again was sort of just oh, a, yeah. it was just like a reliable movie. That was it wasn't amazing. Oh, that was it was, you know, yeah, that was Zemeckis. So. I just feel like he's kind of of that old school. Yeah. We talked about that with like... Um, I mean, Back to the Future. We can never take that away from him. Right, right. Another movie of and, the time. <gasps> you know, I he just makes movies that are enjoyable to watch. Sure. So we should we should maybe talk a little bit more about Castaway. Yeah. Um, and then we can talk a little bit more about Zemeckis and Hanks within that context. Yeah. But we should probably, you know, do our uh, our regular routine. Yeah. And talk about uh, first watchings of Castaway. Yeah. Um, so You've I, seen this movie I before. Have, no. I have, yeah. Come on. It, yeah. it had been a while, though, um, because uh, like, like we alluded to in the intro, it's one of those movies that I'll always appreciate, and it always has a warm spot, but I, but I take it for granted, and I don't think about watching it again. But yeah, so I was, uh, what, 16 when this came out? 15, maybe? And uh, I was excited to see it, I think. Um, and I saw it in the theater. And I really liked it. It never was like one of those movies that I championed or that it was like the greatest movie or I loved it, but it was like... I don't feel like it's one of those movies for anyone. Movie. Yeah. Is it? I, I mean, don't I don't so. hear it talked about I that bet, way. I bet there's somebody who says Castaway is their favorite movie. There's the, the Castaway fan fiction out there. Uh, I don't know. Oh, I bet there is. Yeah, probably. I bet there's a lot of Wilson fanfic out right. there. But I know I've seen it since. I don't know if I've sat down to watch it. Mm-hmm. Since, I know what you mean. That's also my experience. Yeah, almost to a T. But if anybody says like, "Oh, I never saw Castaway," I'd be like, "You should see it. That's yeah. a good movie." But it, but it would not be the sort of enthusiastic like, "I can't believe you have not seen it. You need to go sit down and watch it right now." It would be like, yeah, "If you get around to it, you should. It's worth it. It's well, worth it." I did. All right. So I can't exactly say that because after I watched the movie, my sister in law said, "I've never seen that," and I was like, "What?" <laughs> but it was more like. How have you not been it, in a room when that was on? It does seem like one of those movies that everyone's just seen. Yeah. My experience is almost identical. I saw this in the theater when it came out. I feel like it was a movie that a lot of people, like everyone went to go see it in the theater. 
Would you say that 2000 is is peak Tom Hanks? Well, what else is is what else is going like on? Like popularity there? wise. What else is going on there? I so got to look I got to look at this. His, Let's look yeah. at this. I will say that Forrest Gump certainly was made in the shade Midas touch Tom Hanks has it. But even before that, well, of course, you've yeah. got well, I mean, of course, like Philadelphia. But, but even before that, League you're, of you're looking at <laughs> League of Their Own, Sleepless in Seattle, then Philadelphia, then Forrest Gump. Two movies in two years, back-to-back Best Actor Oscars. Mm. And then Apollo 13, Toy Story, That Thing You Do, which maybe is a is a blip, but I really do love yeah, that movie. A lot of people do. I love that movie, too. Uh, it's a blip, maybe commercially, but it did people feel, who've seen it love it. You, you're 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 in the middle of running through a list that I feel like made everyone think Tom Hanks can do no wrong. Saving Private Ryan, you've got Mail, Toy Story two, The Green Mile, then Castaway. Yeah, that's some momentum. The next thing, Road to Perdition, then Catch Me If You Can, then and I think this is like very clear demarcation: The Lady Killers, mm. The Terminal, Polar Express. Mm. The Da Vinci Code. Yep. You know? Yep. And I don't know what happened there, but after The Da Vinci Code, it pretty much became hit novel adaptations right, and biographies. Yeah. So what's happening there? Well, I mean, let's not forget the David S. Pumpkins Halloween special, though. Which may have been some of his best work. In the run of... Adaptations and biographies. The most like electrifying performance, the one that caused like the most stir, was David S. Pumpkin. Probably. Amongst the culture. He hasn't yes. been nominated for an Oscar since Castaway. No. Well, so he wasn't nominated for Captain Phillips? I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. Okay. <laughs> He's not been nominated since Castaway. Okay. <laughs> Which he didn't win for. And I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. Because what's weird is Meryl Streep's done the same thing. And she gets a nomination every time she's on screen. Well, let's be honest, though. The roles that Meryl Streep's playing are all very different in personality from each other, as right. opposed to yeah. like Captain Phillips and Sully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Chuck Nolan. Playing, played by Tom Hanks. Yeah. You're getting the same Tom Hanks. You're right. Much. So, that's I mean, true. it's not that's necessarily true. that surprising. That's true. Um, but there is some, there's a trend there you're seeing, though, of these like, you know, sort of iconic screen performers that do this like amazing, really groundbreaking, impressive work. And then they just kind of settle into something. Yeah. And maybe, you know, it's, y- you think of it like a job and, yeah. ma- and maybe it's just sort of like, it's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather just make people happy. And I make as much money if I give it my all or if I, or if it's I a lot like, of work. just do it. Not right. that, not that Tom Hanks is phoning it's a lot it of work, in. But it's a lot of risk too. Right. You know, again, we think Tom Hanks is great. And we yeah. think that he always shows up and you're going to get a great performance from him. Not saying that he's lazy. Nothing about that. But it's just interesting that some of the stuff that we really love him for, he's not really making that sort of stuff anymore. Does he need to? I don't know. Well, I feel like that stuff sort of laid the groundwork for what we collectively right. have understood Tom Hanks as a thing yeah. to be. Right. And then he's just sort of like, I'm not going to mess that up. Sure. I'll just be Tom Hanks for you guys. Sure. That's cool. But he had to kind of like have those early days yeah. to really flex his muscles as an actor. So you always can be like, well, let's not forget. Right. Even when he's on cruise control, yeah. this guy's an amazing actor. Right. And we know that, 
because of all the stuff he did to lay that groundwork. Right. You know? The exception in that run is Larry Crone. It's not based on a book and it's not a true story, but he wrote it and or co-wrote it and directed it. Anyway, that's maybe starting us off on an odd foot. Maybe, but I should to say I, like, here we are talking about Tom Hanks and we love him, but what's up with him but you know, you, being you, lazy? Well, here's the thing though. I mean, we Which haven't we seen- We don't think he's lazy. Let's make that very clear. But of those later movies, um, I haven't seen all of them, but I've seen a fair number of them. So it's not like we've stopped- seeing no, Tom not. Hanks movies. And I will say within a lot of those, you still get some amazing Hanks moments. Like I remember still, I can't seem to shake in Captain Phillips. Oh my gosh. The just end? the end. This And that's all in just his face it and his body. It is unbelievable. The, the sort of post-trauma. Yeah. I've never seen a performance that, like that, that. That's actually insane that, that that movie wasn't nominated for him because that scene alone. Alone, yes. You, you like... I can't shake it. No, you know I've never been and I've able to really I've shake watched it. that scene over. I haven't watched Captain Phillips again because overall it was fine. Why? You know, yeah. But I've watched that scene over again just because I'm like, how did he do it? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I absolutely agree so, with you on that. So he's still there. He is. He's yeah. still there. And I liked uh, Sully well enough. Yeah, same here. I was fine with it. Oh, Charlie Wilson's War. He was good in Charlie Wilson's War I, you know, as well. I never saw it. I've always no? meant to. It was good. Yeah. It, it was That's, one. I've heard. I've heard it was that. one that it was kind of weird. It was like, yeah, we get it. It's good. Philip Seymour Hoffman, Tom Hanks, Julia Roberts. We <laughs> yeah. don't need to watch it. But I was, it, it is actually very good. <laughs> Maybe that's what it was for me, was it kind of felt like a movie that was sort of like, put together well yeah to but that's be the thing. like a prestige movie and that maybe and maybe, it, and maybe or maybe not actually was but listen, prestigious you listen know? mike nichols directing an aaron sorkin script <laughs> right, starring tom hanks yeah philip seymour hoffman and julia roberts yeah i get uh, yeah <laughs> what if what's not going to be good about that <laughs> it's true but you're right it's almost like okay yeah we agree it's good we don't need to see it checkmate <laughs> need to like, see it. i can save time checkmate i can save time by that. Yeah. yeah i can save po- time by just telling people yeah that one was good and i actually great. have to watch yeah. it yeah absolutely wonderful script well directed <laughs> beautifully acted uh okay well how about we pivot rewatch to castaway and let's talk about you know okay so what would you say your star rating was before the rewatch uh just just getting down to the numbers here probably one of the more affectionate four stars I could give something. Mm. If I if I had to give it a rating that equaled Thanksgiving food, it would be mashed potatoes. I don't know what that means to you, though. Uh, I thought it was clear. What? Okay, maybe I'm out of the loop on this. All right. I guess I guess I assumed what you felt about mashed potatoes, which is that they're great. But they're I mean, great. But are they five stars? No. No, that's okay. why I'm saying it's a four star. But I wouldn't even. I would. But say, it's the it's the mashed potatoes of the Thanksgiving meal, which is maybe not the first thing on my plate. Maybe not the thing I say I, I make any vocalizations about. You know, but that will be there mm-hmm. on my plate. That will be a healthy serving. Mm-hmm. And not not nutritionally. No, not nutritionally. You mean size, size wise, size, yeah. it will be it will be an imposing mm-hmm. presence mm-hmm. on my plate. Right. It will definitely be right something that I have seconds of. Yeah. Well, okay. And and I'll take this analogy a little bit further. Mashed potatoes are almost always accompanied with comfort food. Yeah. Um. So honestly, it's a very strong rating. Okay. In what it does for and to me, but as a film. Just like mashed potatoes as a food, nutritionally, how good are the best mashed potatoes? Pretty good. How bad are the worst mashed potatoes? Not terrible. 
usually. Yeah. And even if they're not the best mashed potatoes, even if they're the worst mashed potatoes, I'm finishing them. Really? Not like out of a box tasting okay. chemically, <laughs> but like actually just mashed up potatoes. Yeah. If that's all somebody did, I'd just be like, yeah, I'm going to yeah. finish that. Okay. Put some more salt on it, maybe. Right. You're going to need some salt and probably some butter. But but yeah. But come on. This is an uncomplicated, affectionate yeah. feeling for this movie. Right. Okay. So I think we're kind of on the same page here, although I don't know that I would have ever rated mashed potatoes four stars. I think mashed potatoes is more of like a three and a half star food, you know? And that's kind of where I'm putting cast away. I don't, I don't even know away. you anymore. And I looked at Letterboxd because I couldn't remember how I had rated it, but I guess I had given it four stars, which is fine. Because that's where your heart And feels. I don't feel bad for doing that. Uh, I feel like if we could do a 3.75. <laughs> All right, pitchfork. Which we can't. But I just felt good watching this movie. But there were some things that I was like, you know, but 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 as a movie. Oh, I, I agree. Know, it's like, a, you know, three and a half stars to me is like, it's a good movie. I'm kind of right in between three and a half and four stars. Mm-hmm. There are obviously flaws. Did it have to be that long? The length, yeah, it's long. Did it have to be? I mean, I really don't think so. No. Did I have to take three scoops of mashed potatoes? <laughs> I guess. No. But do I hate the fact that I took three scoops for my seconds? Well, you know, okay. No. The mashed potatoes analogy keeps on giving. Mm-hmm. Because to me, this is a movie that you could think you want three scoops of mashed potatoes of. Yeah. And then you get it on your plate and you're like, hey, I took a few, I took a little too much mashed potatoes. But you know what I'm doing? <laughs> I'm finishing them. And I'm probably oh, I, falling asleep at right. some point <laughs> later. <laughs> Very soon after. That's, that's Maybe the last spoonful, my heart's not in it. That's definitely true. But I'm going both, to eat it. Both. But I'm going to eat it. <laughs> All right. Well, um, let's start with uh, what, what is the most mashed potato-y part of Castaway? The part that just makes, that just makes it feel the most affectionate for you, I guess. Is it just Tom Hanks? Is it's that just it Tom Hanks. Okay. But, That's all but, it is. But is it... Is Tom it, Hanks chubby, Tom Hanks skinny, bearded, clean-shaven, in love, out of love, lovesick, devastated, hopeful, I, yeah, all I, of it. I think what I like, what I really like about this movie is there's a whole range of emotions here with Tom Hanks. You know, you're getting everything. Specifically, though, I enjoy most the time alone with Tom Hanks on the island. Yes. Me too. Like that fire scene, his mm-hmm. his joy is so full. <laughs> like yeah. one thing Tom Hanks is, I feel really good at is seeming so uh, I don't know unself aware. Like usually with a big star, we talked about Johnny Depp last last mm. last episode. Yeah, and Tom Hanks was already in the Tom Hanks portion of his career. Like you watch him on screen, and you're watching Tom Hanks. Right. You know he's got a different name, but this is Tom Hanks. But he still can seem so unself aware of that sort of ego or that sort of personality. And like that scene where he's discovering fire mm-hmm. is a very daddish sort of like scene where he's like singing, but terribly singing uh, the doors. Right. And he seems like he's thinking of what he's saying and thinking of what he's doing in that moment. Right. Like he never seems very rehearsed. <laughs> Oh, 
And so I believe so many things that he's doing, not because he's really convincing, because he's always Tom Hanks, but because I think like Tom Hanks believes what he's doing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I I want to be around that. And that's I think why the island portion of this movie is really perfectly executed in the pacing and the timing and the and that is not where i'm saying this movie's long no i mean i really feel like this movie does a great job of you being like man what would that be like Mm -hmm. like what would that be like to be stuck alone for that long Mm -hmm. and you've got someone like tom hanks who even as this character not the most capable it's not like macgyver has been sent to the island but he's also not the biggest idiot either he's like he's really an everyman here course he knows way more math than i do yeah <laughs> yeah and you feel like when you watch it like this guy's really kind of ingenious in what he's coming up with but yeah if you were alone on this island you had nothing to do but sit there with your thoughts you'd probably come up with it too after a lot of trial and error he just seems like your average guy stuck on an island with a decent set of skills and decent smarts you and, know and so when you see the life he's created for himself four years later you're yeah. like yeah that seems right but the fire scene you're talking about Again, as far as like pacing goes, like you really get a sense of how long it has taken him to figure this out and get there. Mm-hmm. So that when he does, it's a cathartic joy. Well, and on top of that joy that you feel, you also when he gets hurt, it's like effectively oh, brutal yeah. or like the the weight of a failure is like no. Right. No. <laughs> I'll say this too, and this is actually outside of the island part. Um the emotion of his return yeah hit me more this time mm-hmm. what it would feel like to see the person you love with a new life yeah and i i imagine part of that is just us being married and yes. having kids yeah. now that I, that is something absolutely. i could not connect with as much Mm-mm. when i was in you know high school college watching this. right yeah thank you then we'll take you over to see kelly she's actually gonna be there huh? well that's what we have arranged I mean, if you're sure you want to do that. Oh, yeah, yes, yes. I don't know what I'm going to say to her. What in the world am I going to say to her? Chuck, Kelly had to let you go, you know? She thought you were dead. We buried you. You know, if I had to sum up kind of my biggest beef of the movie, I just feel like, especially the end, it just goes on a little bit too long. But it's a minor gripe because I really appreciated this time around um, his monologue that Mm -hmm. he gives, Mm -hmm. um, which I think could feel tacked on and could feel a little bit like, was it even necessary for him to do this? Like, why does this have to be said out loud? Yeah. But... This time around watching it, I felt like this was really a, the movie's way of kind of talking about this is a way you can process any grief, you know? And I think for someone who maybe has just lost a loved one or, you know, has gone through a nasty breakup or something, this was a very unique sort of stuck on a desert island situation. But, mm-hmm. you know, this is also a way to just process how people come in and out of your life. And other ideas about control and letting things go and... And I've lost her all over again. I'm so sad that I don't have Kelly.
But I'm so grateful that she was with me on that island. And I know what I have to do now. Gotta keep breathing. Because tomorrow the sun will rise. Who knows what the tide could bring. He talks early in that, I think it's early in that speech where he talks about doing the math and like could be sort of cold and calculating, but there is sort of like a weighing of those things that, that for some people is the entry point into that mm -hmm. to a very necessary sort of letting Processing. go. Yeah. A way, a way to put it together in your mind, mm -hmm. you know? I don't know if that monologue really services the story. But I think it services the movie just fine as far as like, it's kind of a Hollywood thing to do, but just sort of like, hey guys, here's a way that this could be applicable you know, yeah. outside of just a desert yeah. island. I mean, it's, you know. it, it's a little on the nose, but it's, it's also again, really effectively performed and exactly. again, effectively shot because it's all one take that mm -hmm. we kind of circle around Tom Hanks and like it works when maybe it shouldn't. And I think something that I, I started doing a couple of years ago is thinking of like, what's the best single line performance in a movie? And uh, for me, it might be because tomorrow the sun will rise. Mm -hmm. Like of all the lines Tom Hanks says in this movie, his performance of that single line is sort of like, it's great. It's his performance. It is. It's, it's and it's it's that. very much him. Yeah. Like the way he says it, there's nobody else who could say it the way he does. And nobody else could say it. <laughs> I mean, you can imagine somebody saying it and it just sounds like a platitude. There's just a little, there's just that little bit of tiredness in the voice. Right. That just gives it the wisdom that it needs. So yeah, maybe that's a new way for you to, to, to think about a movie too, is uh, what is like the best single sure. line reading? Yeah. Uh, maybe that could be a new Oscar category. I think that would be amazing if you were an actor to win that. Yeah. You know? Almost better than being best actor would just be like, yeah, I... I said the shit out of that yeah, one. <laughs> nobody that year said a sentence better than me. Uh, I, I do want to talk a little bit about Zemeckis here and what sure. he's doing. Because I was thinking, oh, this is 2000. I've seen other movies from around this period that use a little bit of CGI, and boy, does it look bad. Yeah, but I was thinking about that too. I was like, how is this plane crash going to come off? I think that plane crash is really effective mm -hmm. in this movie and does not look cheesy at all um right until i think the the moment with the engine where he like almost oh, afterwards. Gets sucked into it yeah that's after i'm talking about actually oh, just going down yeah. yeah okay so that was like one part where i was like okay so he even got like the action part down pretty good yeah the one action part i also thought that like there were moments of humor or cleverness even in the way that the cutting was done so right when he's on the island and he's yelling out help he yells out help two times and then the third time shows him just writing it in the sand you yeah know, when you would expect him to say it a third time sure. you know just little things like that, that i don't think are necessarily amazing but what they do is they just use like the the language of movies and the tricks you have as a director to just visually make people still interested in the movie when really I remember this trailer being like, how, yeah, how is this, gonna is this going to be interesting? Cause you knew, you know, you were hearing about the runtime and everything and it right. was just like, I don't know if I can watch Tom Hanks alone on an Island. Um, and a lot of it, I think I would is, not say that anymore. 
Even well, if no. it wasn't exciting, <laughs> as exciting as Castaway. I also think just in the, and, and this wouldn't all be on Zemeckis. This would also most likely be on the writer, uh, William Broyles Jr., who also wrote Apollo 13, by oh, the way. Another sort of stranded type of movie. Yeah. But the segmenting and the challenges. So it kind of starts with like water being the challenge, you know, and it just kind of goes through, I think, pretty sequentially, like what you would imagine would be what you'd have to deal with step by step when you're on an island. So it's like water and then it's fire and it's food. And then it's interesting that then it goes to like art. It's sort of like going through like a mini history of civilization or whether it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I I just kind of like the... I just like the structure of the whole island thing. And that's not just Tom Hanks. You know, that's a lot of stuff going into making that whole piece work. Yeah, definitely. He could have been more uh, subtle as far as like some of the callbacks and some of like the connections between things. But I think it's probably just really smart filmmaking to give an audience like there's not going to be a lot of dialogue. We've got to give them benchmarks like Mm -hmm. things that they can kind of hold on to and say like oh yeah that thing and he does really well with recalling sort of emotions through repeated images or Mm. objects in the movie sure on like one of my more snooty days i would like pick it apart but you don't make 430 million dollars on a movie by by being so esoteric and more to his credit he is able to use those things that are a little bit less subtle and still make a nuanced movie. So sure, Terrence Malick would have done more voiceover, (laughs) more voiceover, but less, less understandable and recognizable imagery. Right. I mean, yeah, I think you make a good point. So this isn't a Malick movie. It's a very approachable, easy to watch movie. And so I think, yeah, that could be a knock against it. Or I also think it's just something that's impressive that yes. someone can do that, you know, that someone can make a very watchable movie. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's, not, it's not something that I, in my life, have appreciated yeah. um, as much as I should. And it, and there and it took are, me a long time to realize how good Steven Spielberg was because he was so watchable. Sure, but there are cinematic touches to this. In the dissolve to four years later, yeah. how it just kind of zooms in on the fire, the way that the flames danced on the screen... Mm-hmm really seamlessly moved into the water. Yeah. That is like almost like a, his version of his 2001 cutaway cut straight to like, all of a sudden he is like an Island native. Yeah. And I mean, native in the sense of there was another 2001 moment when he's a lot more primal yeah. and animalistic and so obviously kind of like in reverse, in reverse. And he's a lot more fearful of everything. And yeah. he's at first scared of this thing that washes up on the shore, that plastic piece that he needs. And it's mm-hmm. almost like the monolith yeah, because of the way it stands up and yeah. he's sort of in awe of it. Yeah. You know, That's I'm not sure if that was a direct connection, but I, it's certainly what I thought right away. That's interesting. Yeah. And his ability to survive was way better, but his ability to be like civilized quote unquote was more right. uh, diminished. I think the movie, once it settles in, I, I, I respect the filmmaking more. I, I the opening where like the camera's on the package. Yeah. It's it's just odd. It yeah. creates it's like this flashy Warner <laughs> that creates just an odd energy. Right. I'm with you. That does not appear ever again. Because that that shot stuck out to me too. I was like, what's going on here? I don't remember this. But just cool it. <laughs> <laughs> and for the people who maybe either didn't catch it when they watched it or didn't rewatch this movie before we talked about it, it's just a shot that's like attached to a package. So we live in a GoPro world. 
But that actually would have been probably a harder shot to do back then. If they shot it all on film, yeah. Right. Yeah. So now we would just Velcro a GoPro <laughs> right. and be like, well, we could do that, but eh. Yeah. Been done. It's boring. <laughs> I don't know. It just created sort of an odd energy that yeah. having, and it never went having, back to it. Having seen the movie, I was like, this doesn't happen again in this movie. Yeah. But maybe the first time you're watching it, you're like, whoa, cool. And then Tom Hanks is there and you're like, I don't even remember what happened before this. <laughs> Tom Hanks has that ability to yeah. just kind of wipe away all of your concerns. What was I saying? <laughs> Um, just brief comment on some of the choices the movie makes. Um, Law and Order font. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know why, but they did. Then Helen Hunt. Um, I guess I don't know. I I, I don't think about her very often. She is. And I don't know if that's a, if that's a mark against her or not, because you know, uh, you saw as good as it gets, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And you enjoyed it. I like it. Uh, she's very Helen Hunt in that too, but. She's good. Like I like yeah. her in that movie, and I, I like her. I like in her this in this movie. movie. I like her in Twister, but she's she's just Helen Hunt, she you is. know. But it just, especially since I haven't really seen her in much in a long time, which is a nice thing to see. But because I haven't seen it for so long, it just seems like a time capsule kind of thing. One thing that I was kind of confused about is was Kelly's husband keeping her from seeing him. When he sees her try to go back inside and the, the husband kind of keeps her from doing it, is that more of just like a, we talked about this, like, you know that you really think this is better? I kind of interpret it like you said, where the husband was like, hey, we talked about this, you really, but I also think as a, that there's also probably an element of the husband sort of being like, I need to make sure I keep my wife. Like, right, yeah. you know. It does feel like the end sequences are each just playing with an alternate ending. That, right. Like, they drag and on and on and they go back and one, forth. They, yeah. they, they go with all of them. I mean, there, there are like three separate alternate endings in the scene with Tom Hanks and Helen Hunt. And in, in the house, right? Right. I think the movie would have been stronger if he would have just left after the car pulled out. Yeah. I don't think they needed that final kiss and everything. And that's where I feel like it's sort of a Hollywood pandering to like, the audience needs to see this. They cannot accept that they wouldn't at least kiss. If they don't get Even if they don't get together. Yeah. Yeah, They have to have their moment. And also, like, how heavy are these sleepers in this house? Right, like, exactly. Dear God, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's where the movie starts to fall apart logistically yeah. on top of thematically. And it's and frustrating because I don't feel like it had to, you know? No, like, they I don't could, think so either. There was, I like, think, cut points where the editor, even if it was shot, the editor could have been like, you're good here. Never mind. Let's cut this it out, was, you know? You don't need him meeting Kelly and his speech. Right, yes. Again, no offense to Helen Hunt. The, strength, the the movie's strength was in the speech where he, he mm-hmm. is processing his his letting her go. 
I to so I I I'm I'm just like I'm completely conflicted on it because I'm like they didn't need it but also it's such a fascinating important thing to explore what is this like for someone coming back and it does about as well as it could have done because I don't know if his sort of standing at the crossroads would have had as much impact if we hadn't already seen him sort of have it and give it up you know, like it's a pretty strong character building moment for him to have her in his car. They could drive away. And he says, nah, this isn't right. I don't know. I, I felt like I got what I needed when they were in the garage. Yeah, I agree. You know, I just felt like they were just really lingering on it in a movie that did not need more runtime. Yeah. <laughs> it was fine. Right. <laughs> um, I thought, I thought it would be fun is just to kind of talk about maybe other, little touches in the movie that you liked or because it is a movie that doesn't actually have a lot of dialogue. So yeah. it's a lot of just little things that are symbols or little flourishes or things that just kind of make you say, Oh, I remember that. That's nice. You know? Well, okay. So I think maybe something, the opposite of what you're asking me for is I remember the stuff with Wilson being way more impactful than it was this mm. time. Mm. His dialogue with Wilson monologue with Wilson seemed a little too convenient. Like I know where there's 30 feet of extra rope and like sort of really expository. Yeah. Not that I didn't, uh, you know, feel the emotion also sort of the comic relief of Wilson. Right. 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 Um, but it was, it stood out to me way more as a plot device than it did the first time I saw it. Just have to make some more out of videotape. Yes. No, we have time. We do. We have time. Look, the wind's still blowing in from the west. I know. Yeah, I know. I know where there's 30 feet of extra rope. But, but I'm not going back up there. To me, it was like, yeah, definitely. This is something that was put there because there does need to be some exposition. Yeah. <laughs> like we need to figure out like what's going on in his mind. Right. So I'm thinking if, if you can kind of accept that, that's sort of what this is doing there. They do a pretty good job, I think, of making it at least plausible that that is something he would say to, to right. a, that he's thinking out loud. So you, you mentioned, for instance, which is a perfect example, actually, the example of him saying, I know where there's 30 feet of rope. Let's just say the movie, they just decide this is just going to be an expository thing. And let's just have him say, there's 30 feet of rope, you know, yeah. but to have it instead be yeah. in his mind, working out a denial. Like if you had this moment where you almost committed suicide mm -hmm. and you don't want to go back to it in your mind yeah, and to have that be the way that he vocalizes this to his friend yeah. is to me, very plausible. Mm -hmm. Like basically like begrudgingly saying and admitting, I know where that rope is. I don't want to deal with it. And that's what would make you outburst it vocally as opposed to just kind of keeping it in your mind. Sure. If you were alone. You know, sure. I thought that they did a pretty, for the most part, like a tasteful job of not overdoing the exposition through Wilson. And then the second thing that I thought about with Wilson is, um, I still think it's really effective. And again, this is both Hanks and Zemeckis, but the way they show his despair yeah. When Wilson is yes. gone. Yeah. Is so good. Yeah. I mean, this looks like a guy who has really lost it. Right. You know? But then, like, I think a lesser director would have really came in for that. Yeah. 
and been like, like yes, this is the Oscar moment. Like, let's make sure we get it nice up and close and let's get on that face. But he really pans out. I mean, I think that really shows the desolation uh, and the despair both a lot more effectively than if they just would have went tighter on him. Well, it, it, again, not so subtly underlines the metaphor that this wasn't totally about the volleyball. Like this is, that's it for him. Right. Basically. He, he's he's done now. Like, he gave up. Yeah. And he's alone, and he's adrift fully. Yeah. As strange as it, is, as it is, that was his last connection to reality. What do you think of the ending generally? Like, the actual ending? I I find the crossroads shot memorable. Mm-hmm. That's a Zemeckis thing, and you either like it or you don't. He's a very sentimental filmmaker. Yeah. I mean, look at the feather in Forrest Gump. Right. I mean... Does that bother you? It doesn't really bother me, you know. It's certainly, it's certainly somewhat subtle, more subtle than the rat at the end of The Departed, right? And also, I feel like when Zemeckis hits those visual symbols hard, they're usually for something that is sentimental and positive. Like, so if you have that opening in your heart, you're just yeah. kind of like, eh, it, it's yeah. cool, yeah. you know. It doesn't bother me. It Not doesn't. The, the the literal crossroads doesn't bother me. Partly because I just, I like the shot. I like the right. overhead shot, the really rural, vast, flat land. You yeah. know. Does it bother you? No, I actually, I, I, I think I liked the ending better this time than I remember liking, yeah. liking it. It just, yeah, it's a fitting end to his arc, I think. All right, well, it, it, it seems like we're kind of saying this. Yeah, uh, I think this, we're feeling good about feeling it. good about Castaway. And, and even if we're not, it's, uh, you know, you put aside your differences at right. uh, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Now, uh, I guess related to the movie, I I found out, we found out, that there was a remake. Uh, not a remake. <laughs> it's not a full-on remake, well, I don't you, think. I found this out right before we hit record, yeah, I so knew, I don't so know anything about it. Enlighten us here. There's, okay. a, there's a movie called Castaway. Um, Clever title. And uh, it's about a rich American businessman um, and the world's <laughs> top developer, according to the IMDb thing. Um, if if it, John Smith of Everyman fame of <laughs> right. you can see yourself in this man anyway he uh, I don't know a plane crash again and uh, he is on an island alone uh, it's just him and God yeah but what I find interesting and, about this is he's on his way from Puerto Rico to New York City yeah it is not nearly the amount of search no, area it's not that's true <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, like we could find this guy pretty easily if we wanted to. But what what ends up happening to him is that he builds a large cross and worships and talks to God every day mm. um, for twenty years, not four years, but he's he's on the island for twenty years. Wow! And he begins to. Um, I love the phrasing in this. He begins to miss the busy New York style <laughs> lifestyle less and less. Um, and so then he's found by two Jamaican fishermen. And they will, they're offering to rescue him. And he's not so sure if, if he, he would like to be, be because he loves God. And uh, the island, again, quoting, has kept him away from sinful pleasure, money, and a busy life <laughs> that was headed straight for hell. But he also has a daughter that he's missed. <laughs> In New York City. He hasn't seen her for 20 years. Well, there's a lot in this He's synopsis. He's weighing, weighing his options. Also, no faith in himself to be able to be changed. Like, if I go back to New York, I'll see my daughter, but I'll fall back into that, that busy life. So I feel like it's a, it's a fairly different movie. I wouldn't call it a remake. 
but it's the same title and uh, a, a man who is lost on an island. It sounds terrible. It sounds like nothing I would like to see. Right, right. Although I think the lesson learned from this movie is that the way to view your relationship with God is he's really just like a Wilson to everyone. <laughs> he's just Wilson. He's That's just right. Wilson. Yeah. And the cross is just the physical embodiment of, of Wilson. Wilson. So, uh, do you, yeah. It sounds blasphemous. I'm sure the movie's trying to be reverent, but it sounds like it's <laughs> failing at that. Should this be our, uh, our, our next episode? Castaway again? I think not. Um, I would like to um, give my favorite bit of okay. uh, irrelevant IMDb trivia. Yeah. All right. Let's hear it. Settle in. Let's hear it. This, this is, is Ryan's. A, this pick is a, this, this is a long one. Oh, okay, all right. Although the roads Bettina identifies for Chuck at the end are fictitious, her descriptions of where they go essentially are real. The intersection is where FM one two six eight meets FM forty eight and Country Road five, about ten miles northwest of Briscoe, Texas, in the northeastern Panhandle. You can see clearly in the scene where the smoother paver state maintained FM forty eight becomes the dustier gravelly CR five at that intersection. Truck drove north on CR five to get to Bettina's ranch, and the last scene has him coming back southbound on CR five and parked at the intersection facing south. Bettina comes in eastbound from the west and turns left, northbound, onto CR5 where she stops and talks to Chuck. When she points out, quote, 83 south, end quote, while the real US 83 runs about five miles east of this intersection, she is really pointing south at FM48, which from US 83 can be accessed within 10 minutes. Although it's unclear where she's referring when she says, and this road here will hook you up with I-40 East, since she's off camera, by process of elimination, she describes on camera the other three directions. She's likely pointing at eastbound FM 1268. Although in reality, I-40 runs about 25 miles south of this intersection. If you did go east the way Bettina suggested, I-40 does take a northeast turn towards Oklahoma, and you would eventually meet up with it approximately 80 miles by going due east. So it's not altogether inaccurate. Uh, Bettina really did point west and when talking about getting to Amarillo, Flagstaff, and California. And indeed, Chuck could have turned right and headed west on FM 1268 towards these locations. And finally, her whole lot of nothing all the way to Canada is essentially true as CR5 runs north and eventually connects with one of several U.S. routes that go up to the Great Plains, mostly through small towns all the way to the Canadian border if desired. If Chuck made his trip now, 2017, he would see several giant wind turbines. 2017, when the Castaway remake came out. He would see several... If Chuck made this trip now in 2017, he would see several giant wind turbines on both sides of CR5 at this intersection, which would tower over them in the frames of the last scene. Mm-hmm. So it just really kind of opens up a new... <laughs> Why? <laughs> it's worth noting, 28 of 95 found this interesting. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah. I think that trivia, if I really dug into it, and it would take a while to dig through all that, but it probably, exp- it probably reveals everything. Well, I great. I, that, can I just it, say you can try, but I don't know. I, I don't think you'll find more irrelevant trivia <laughs> than, than that. <laughs> well, I have to do it, right? Yeah, you've got to find. I've got to find. Well, there might be something. Unless I'm misreading this and I'm not catching the point to this, um, but mine's much shorter. Yeah, I think I know which one you're going to say. So the license plate on Chuck's car reads K A Z space two N nine. What's going on there? It's just, that's that's the trivia, by the way. That's that's, that's it. That's the trivia. Yeah, that's it. And 192 of 321 found that interesting. Does that mean something? Kaz 2N9? I don't think so. Wait a second. Kaz is also a lot like K-Pax. Right. Kevin Spacey. Right. And pay it forward with Helen Hunt. Helen Hunt, exactly. Well, I think that's great trivia. That is great. So um, yours is not irrelevant. So... 
You'll have to do better next yeah. time. Well, you win this round. <clears throat> but uh, I mean, I think it's I think we're best buds, and we we've got to we've got to be to feast at the same table for thanks Thanksgiving. Right. Yes, yeah. Uh, T. Hanks giving. Yes. This was a I I, I think that's how I'm going to choose to hear it. Right. And I actually think this should be also a new tradition. I was going to say, I think because we November have a hard time, should be our month of thanks. Right, because we've had a hard time always coming up with the, the best the Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving holiday Thanksgiving. And so, right. Uh, appropriate tie-in. But this makes it a lot easier. I think and any we're Tom Hanks it. movie is going to be an appropriate right. Thanksgiving movie. Yeah. Maybe not Saving Private Ryan, but... Maybe. Veterans Day is also in, in, in November. November. Sure. So it Jeez. could be very appropriate. Yeah, I think we've hit on something. I would be fine with that. With, uh, with watching a Tom Hanks movie every November. Let's uh, let's 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 put it in writing. Okay. From here on forth. Yeah. Hang on. Here on. Right. Forth. Got it. Um. Okay. <clears throat> so great. We did the trivia. We declared uh, our future Novembers to be T Hanks Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. But we're best buds here, right? Are you keeping yeah. yours at four stars? Yeah, I am. Okay. I'm, I yeah. I'll, I'll since it was already four stars on Letterboxd. I don't like the message it sends to dial it back. No. What's that going to what's that going to do? Right. Tom Hanks. And then they have to kind of backpedal on. it and be like, "Well, I'm not saying that it's like less than right. it's just yeah. yeah. Tom Hanks is already on pins and needles wondering how we're going to talk about his movie." Right. Um and that would just be that would just give Need, him more needlessly, concern. Like yeah. he would hear right. this and he'd be like, "Okay, I came out all right." And then he'd see that and he'd the be Letterbox like, thing. Wait, what? Right. What's going on? I got to listen to that again. Right. All right. Well, uh, why don't we then move forward mm-hmm. and talk about whatever movie we're going to do that's not Tom Hanks. Yeah. So for the next episode, we're, we're doing something really quite different for us. At this point, 78 episodes in, we're going we're gonna to switch it up. And uh, the reason for that is because it is uh, the end of a decade. And uh, we're not gonna do we're not gonna do a Christmas movie. For one thing, we we weren't really finding something that we were like feeling inspired to right, do. Right. Right. I mean, there are Christmas movies we have not done. That's oh, right. true. That's true. But yeah, they're also movies that we don't really know that we would have a whole lot to say about them, even so, if we love them. Instead of forcing that, we're going to force ourselves to come up with our top movies of the decade. Yeah. And so Nate and I will be not conversing ahead of time. We'll be watching. At all. No. With radio silence from right. here until um, I show up one night. We'll figure to it out when that happens. Unannounced. I am basically like I am at the ready for the whole month with my yeah. recording setup. You've cleared your evenings. Yes, of course. My calendar is open because we are not talking, Mm-mm. and it, it is for the sake of the podcast. Yeah, this silence. We'll continue to talk now, right? Like, to end the episode. As soon as we say we'll catch you next time, that That's starts it. the silence. So we're going to be talking about what what we think are the best movies of our favorite movies. We're not going to say best, right? Movie. We're not. We're not. We're not. We're not that. We're not that pompous we're, we're to think little, that we we're we a little can more subjective best. than that. Yeah. We also know we have not seen every movie. Yeah. So the ones that have given us the given us the most tingles. Right. Is that right? That was how we put it. Yeah. Okay. The most when we talked about the most it. Most tingly movies yeah. of the decade. We're still hammering out some of the details. Our agents are talking, mm-hmm. and they're meeting with the lawyers tomorrow. There's a lot of legalese that we don't need to get into. Right. But they are facilitating our not talking. Right now, what it's looking like we're going to be on is that we're going to come in with a list of ten, mm-hmm. and then we're going to talk about our top five. Yes. Uh, just so that this is not a fifteen-hour episode. We'll be doing a full episode's worth on each movie. Right. But I will edit it down yeah. to one episode. Right. But each, it'll still be an edited 
45 minutes to an hour per movie. Oh, that's which a, is which is we'll be talking about 10 movies. So that's we're looking at it at max I, 10 hour podcast. <laughs> okay, well, I, we're gonna have to get have our lawyers kind of handle I this am, part. This is my what you were agent. I'm looking. This is what you're planning. On, I'm 10 looking, hours. I'm looking at the email, and my agent said that they ran that by your agent, and things sounded quote positive. All right, I'm gonna have. Okay, I'll talk to Gary about it. There was a miscommunication somewhere. That's not what Brent said, but... Look, I'm just saying that's a lot to edit. I think, Ryan, this is why we don't stray from our format very much. This is getting very complicated. But I also think that what would be great, and I don't think this is going to add too much complication, but I think it would be great if our listeners also let us know some of their favorite movies. Of the I decade. think that'd be great. I'm going to need some help. But I'm looking, I'm just looking at, you know, we have access as podcasters to um, Google search mm. and the the Google search results for 2010's movies. There's a lot of good ones. Just looking down the list, we've got Mad Max Fury Road, Inception, Get Out, Social Network, Boyhood, Moonlight, Toy Story 3, Wolf of Wall Street, Grand Budapest Hotel, 12 Years a Slave, The Master, uh, Black Swan, Tree of Life. Uh, and I'm assuming the list goes on. Skin, Interstellar. Uh, you can tell, by the way, I'm continuing to read movies. The list goes on. List Inside goes on. Lewin yes. Davis, The Revenant, uh, Birdman, uh, Lady Bird, uh, uh, Inside Out. The list still goes on? Well, I'm continuing to make noises like the, I'm the reading it was, over. That, that uh, is like an etc. Uh, Black Panther. Uh, That's already way more movies than I thought were released in the decade. And I am looking forward to some that you may mention that might not even have been on that list. Right. Like the the number 50 highest grossing movie of 2010 worldwide. You know what it is? I'd have to know there were 50 movies made in the last decade. You will not guess it. Wolf Warrior 2. All right. The number 50 highest Wolf grossing Warrior movie. Two. What? Yeah. In 10 years, the 50th highest grossing movie is, is a movie that Wolf, I don't remember. Wolf Warrior 2. It's a Chinese action movie. Oh, okay. Well, I think this is going to be uh, exciting to say the least. I'll tell you, the idea of talking through a list came came up for me when I was listening to uh, the, the the podcast by our friends uh, at Two Beards Please, yeah. who uh, who mentioned us uh, briefly on their podcast where they were talking about movies. Okay, uh, they don't always talk about movies, but uh, well, it's a great idea, and we're happy to steal it. I'm going to say I had the idea before I listened to it, so I don't we don't have to pay them any of the. <laughs> royalties yeah any of the massive amounts of money that we right we make or we'll just say hey checks in the mail guys sure yeah yeah let's tell them that cut this part <laughs> so uh from our friends at two beards please and the uh, guys checks in the mail but anyways we don't really have a movie for everyone to watch next month no. but maybe rewatch but yeah, all those movies yeah, head that back you, into you know, your your dig archives. Through your archives right, right. but um, digging through ours yeah getting yours it's enough but if you do want to dig through our archives, you can go to our website. You can stay there. It's cool. Canwestillbefriends.net. You can always email us. Feedback at canwestillbefriends.net. We're still on Facebook. Yep. Can we still be Can we still be friends podcast? Right. Where we're at still there. on still on the gram. The gram. The Alexander. The IG. Gram. Yep. Definitely check us out on Instagram if you're uh, on the gram mm-hmm. and you haven't followed us yet. Right. What you waiting for? Yeah. Just do it. What better content? <laughs> Not going to find it. Yeah. You obviously haven't looked at it yet. <laughs> Yeah. Keep dreaming. Uh, you can Is also give us a call. Oh, give us a call. Give yeah. us a call. Eight, classic. 847-306-9532. That's our number. It's always there. Leave us a message and let us know. Maybe just run through your top five real quick. Yeah. 
But anyways, we want to wish you a happy Tom Hanks giving Thanksgiving. We've given you lots of things to chew on in addition to your (laughs) Thanksgiving food. But we we are we're very grateful for you, Nate. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for this time we spend together. Yeah, me too. Uh, So thank you, and and thank you likewise. And thank Hanks. Thank and we thank him as well. Thank you, listeners. Yeah, we'll catch you next month and let us know what you think of the movies of the past. Enjoy the Hanks. That's right. Enjoy it. There's no animals on this island, like, yeah. like except for the crab and the and the fish. There's marine but, life, but yeah, he doesn't seem to have to deal with like predators or jaguars, even even birds. Where's yeah. the birds? I don't know. All right, so movies unrealistic. Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't know much about island fauna.